Again, it's Memorial Day weekend where we remember those who've given their lives in service to our country. Um, likewise, uh, throughout Christian history, we have those who have lost their lives because of their faith in Jesus. We call them martyrs. And the very first Christian martyr is a man named Stephen. He was a leader in the early church. Um, he was uh, taken, uh, he was arrested and taken in front of the Jewish ruling council called the Sanhedrin, and he was accused of blasphemy against God and Moses. And in response to this charge, Stephen gives a history lesson. Um, and a large part of his speech is about Moses. He was accused of speaking against Moses, and so he speaks about Moses. It's a long speech. It's 52 verses. Um, we're only going to read a part of it, all right? Um, his speech is found in Acts chapter 7, verses 23 to 37. Go ahead and turn there in your Bibles, or you can look it up on your phones. Acts is the fifth book in the New Testament. It's after the Gospels, after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Then you have the book of Acts. And we're going to pick up Stephen halfway through his speech to the Sanhedrin. Um, our scripture reader for this morning is Terry Downs. Terry, go ahead and make your way on up to the podium. As he does, I'm going to ask you for Abel, please stand and face the center of the room. Uh, we read from the center of the room to remind us that scripture is to be central in our lives, and we stand because we believe this is the very word of God. And so, Terry, whenever you are ready, please read from Acts chapter 7, verses 23 to 37. When Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his own people, the Israelites. He saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian, so he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. The next day, Moses came upon two Israelites who were fighting. He tried to reconcile them by saying, men, you're brothers. Why do you want to hurt each other? But the man who was mistreating the other pushed Moses aside and said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? When Moses heard this, he fled to Midian, where he settled as a foreigner and had two sons. After 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to Moses in the flames of a burning bush in the desert near Mount Sinai. When he saw this, he was amazed at the sight. As he went over to get a closer look, he heard the Lord say, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses trembled with fear and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have indeed seen the impression of my people in Egypt. I have heard from their groaning and have come down to set them free. Now come, I will send you back to Egypt. This is the same Moses they had rejected with the words, Who made you ruler and judge? He was sent to be their ruler and deliverer by God himself through the angel who appeared to him in the bush. He led them out of Egypt and performed wonders and signs in Egypt at the Red Sea and for 40 years in the wilderness. This is the Moses who told the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your own people. Terry, thank you very much. You may be seated. 
As a kid and even now, I love stories about heroes, whether it was superheroes like Spider-Man and Superman, or Star Wars heroes like Luke Skywalker and Obi-Wan Kenobi, or any stereotypical beloved hero, where there was a clear good guy and a clear bad guy, and the good guy comes in, saves the day, and then everybody loves the hero. Um, today's stories of heroes are usually not that simple. Uh, in contemporary telling, heroes are often not beloved, um, after they save the day, or at least not universally beloved after they save the day. Uh, you can see this in the Marvel Universe, uh, where the Avengers, they are controversial because of the damage they've done in their attempts to save the world. Or in the DC Universe, where Batman and Superman don't always get along, they're not always friends. Or in the Star Wars Universe, where the Rebel Alliance isn't really viewed that much different than the Galactic Empire at times. Um, now, in today's stories, there are still good guys and bad guys, but it's a little more complicated because even after doing so much good, the heroes aren't always universally beloved. And the reason I think storytellers are going in this direction is a couple of reasons. One is it's more entertaining. Um, it's a little bit more compelling when you add that little wrinkle into it. But I also think it's more realistic. Because as audiences, we resonate with that storyline more because our heroes are not always beloved. You know, in the Green Bay Packer universe, uh, Aaron Rodgers is arguably the best quarterback we've ever had. I said arguably, so just calm down. It's okay. Now, last year was fascinating because even though he had another MVP season, it's two years in a row now, his off-field off antics made him a controversial figure. And this last off-season, we in Packerland wondered, should we just let him go? Let him go to another team, train with the Raiders or something, whatever, okay? There are pockets of Packer fandom that want to let Aaron Rodgers go. The guy has been amazing for decades. He's got four MVPs, and we're ready to let him go. That's how we treat our heroes. They do something wonderful, and we are quick to reject them. This is Stephen's point in his speech to the Sanhedrin. The Jewish leaders point to Moses as their hero, and Stephen reminds them how Moses was treated as he did heroic things. He was often rejected. And Stephen tells a story of rejected redemption. And his, in his account of rejected redemption, Stephen begins with a story of rescue. Moses has been raised in the house of Pharaoh, and at some point he learns that he's an Israelite, and the Israelites, they're slaves in Egypt. And after Moses realizes that he's an Israelite, like all those slaves he's been watching throughout the years, this happens, going back to verse 23 in the passage. When Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his own people, the Israelites, and he saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian. So he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. Now, Moses was misguided in his efforts. Killing the Egyptian was not a good thing. It was not okay. But the passage reveals Moses felt that God was using him 
to deliver the Israelites. And by his swift action, he thought the Israelites would see him as their hero, their deliverer. They would rally around him as he rescued them. And while killing the Egyptian was not good, Moses' logic makes sense. All of Egypt is mistreating the Israelites, and Moses is thinking, I, this is not good for my people. I need to do something. I need to do something. And so when he sees one Egyptian mistreating an Israelite, he goes into hero mode, kills the Egyptian, and saves the day for that Israelite. And he has now shown himself to be on the side of the Israelites. Moses is from the house of Pharaoh, so he has some influence. He has the means to help the Israelites. And he has shown them that he is on their side. Surely they will look to him to rescue them from their slavery. And that is not how it happens. Moses' rescue effort is rejected. There's rejection. Moses has identified with and taken action on behalf of the Israelites. So then Moses tries to bring peace between two of them. Going back to the passage, verse 26. The next day, Moses came upon two Israelites who were fighting, and he tried to reconcile them by saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you want to hurt each other? But the man who was mistreating the other pushed Moses aside and said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? And when Moses heard this, he fled to Midian, where he settled as a foreigner and had two sons. Now, in this part of the passage, Moses is being reasonable. The Israelites are slaves in Egypt. The Egyptians are the enemies. They're the bad guys. They're the ones mistreating the Israelites. The Israelites need to stick together. They need to look out for each other. The minute they turn on each other, they really have no chance. So Moses tries to make peace between two Israelites who are fighting, and he is completely rejected. Who made you? Rule her and judge over us. Are you going to kill me like you killed the Egyptian yesterday? And when Moses intervened on behalf of that Israelite by killing the Egyptian, he took a big risk. He was a part of Pharaoh's household. He risked losing everything, everything, including his life. And when he took that step and risked everything to intervene on behalf of that Israelite, it did not pay off. Because now it's known what he has done. So he's in danger with Pharaoh in his own household. And the Israelites, who he took the risk for, have completely rejected him. In an attempt to help the oppressed, Moses has everybody angry at him. And so he flees for his life. There was a point in Moses' life when he thought he was called to rescue the Israelites. But after he flees to Midian, well, that idea is gone. And I don't blame Moses for that. He tried to help, 
and it blew up in his face. Many of you, I know, you saw a situation, you tried to help in the situation, and it blew up in your face. And so now Moses is thinking, you know, I'm just going to live my life, keep my head down. You know, Moses tried. He tried to do something. He was rejected. And so now he's done. Makes sense to me. That's not how God operates. That's not how God operates. God calls Moses to return, to return. Going back to the passage in verse 30. After 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to Moses in the flames of a burning bush. God calls Moses to return. Even though Moses has been rejected, God still calls him to return. Going back to verses 30 to 34. After 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to Moses in the flames of a burning bush in the desert near Mount Sinai. And when he saw this, he was amazed at the sight. As he went over to get a closer look, he heard the Lord say, I am the Lord, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Moses trembled with fear and did not dare to look. And then the Lord said to him, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have indeed seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their groaning and have come down to set them free. Now come, I will send you back to Egypt. It's been 40 years. 40 years. That's about the same amount of time it took for the second Top Gun movie to come out. Okay, 40 years. Moses has been living in Midian for 40 years. He is married and has a family. He works for his father-in-law. He has a good life. And he has left Egypt behind. And he has no intentions of returning. And God shows up to him in the desert. And Moses is told, take off your sandals. This is holy ground. I have something to tell you, Moses. I have seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their groaning and have come down to free them. You need to go back to Egypt. God is aware that the Israelites have rejected Moses. God is aware and God doesn't care. Moses, you go back. I have called you to free my people. In the Exodus account of the burning bush, Moses is reluctant to go back. Now, if I was Moses, my primary fear of going to Pharaoh and demanding to let the people go, my primary fear would be of Pharaoh. Pharaoh is the most powerful man in the world. I was raised in Pharaoh's, he was raised in Pharaoh's household. I'm going to go back and tell him to let the Israelites go. How am I going to go to the most powerful man in the world and make those kinds of demands? That would be my first concern. That isn't Moses' first concern. You can look this up in Exodus chapter 3. Moses' first concern is not Pharaoh. His primary concern is the Israelites, that the Israelites will not follow him, which makes sense because if they didn't follow him before, why would they follow him now? He's worried that he will go to rescue them 
only to be rejected again. And so he's afraid the whole thing will be repeated. And you know what? Moses was right. The Israelites will question him as their leader. The Israelites will complain to him as their leader. The Israelites will reject him as their leader. The whole thing is going to get repeated. In verses 35 and 36, where it says, this is the same Moses. They had rejected with the words, who made you ruler and judge? He was sent to be their ruler and deliverer by God himself through the angel who appeared to him in the bush. He led them out of Egypt and performed wonders and signs in Egypt at the Red Sea and for 40 years in the wilderness. They rejected Moses with the words, who made you ruler and judge? And so Moses is sent back by God and Moses is rejected or at least resisted by the Israelites every step of the way. When Moses first confronted Pharaoh, Pharaoh made the Israelites collect their own straw. It created more work for them. And the Israelites went to Moses and basically said, thanks for nothing, may the Lord judge you. After the 10 plagues and the Israelites had left Egypt and they were at the Red Sea and the Egyptian army was coming for them, they said to Moses, we told you to leave us alone. Now we're going to die out here. And they basically say, thanks for nothing. And then after the Red Sea is split and they cross on dry ground and the Red Sea flooded over the Egyptian army that was following them, a mighty victory for the Israelites. They head into the desert and it is not happily ever after. What do they do in the desert? They complain, they reject, they resist. Every time, every time that God offer some kind of redemption, some kind of rescue. They complain and they reject it. And God will deliver them every time. The cycle is repeated over and over and over again. God delivers through Moses. The people reject the redemption. God delivers, they reject. God delivers, they reject. And that is Stephen's message to the Sanhedrin says, this is our history. You say Moses is your hero, this is what we do with our heroes. And Stephen concludes his speech with telling the Jewish leaders that the prophet like Moses is Jesus. Jesus is a prophet like Moses. Going back to verse 37 in the passage. This is the Moses who told the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your own people. And for Stephen and the church, Jesus was the prophet like Moses. Jesus was the Messiah, the Savior. Well, if Jesus is the one bringing redemption, and if Jesus is a prophet like Moses, what can we expect to happen? <laughs> Jesus will be rejected. Moses was rejected, Jesus will be rejected, Stephen will be rejected. And there is one particular man who happens to be listening to Stephen. One who will be a part of rejecting and killing Stephen. A man named Saul. And Saul will reject what Stephen has to say. And here is what happens after Stephen is done talking. In Acts chapter 7, at the end of it. At this they covered their ears 
and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of their killing him. So Jesus comes to bring redemption. Jesus is rejected. Stephen comes to testify about Jesus. Stephen is rejected and killed. And one of those who's taking part of the killing of Stephen is a man named Saul. Well, what do you think Jesus is going to do with Saul? Well, what's the pattern? What's the history? Redemption comes. Rejection happens. God returns to redeem again. So Saul has just rejected the redemption of Jesus as testified by Stephen. What's Jesus going to do? Well, Jesus is coming back to Saul. So Saul is on a journey to arrest more followers of Jesus. And this is what happens. Acts chapter 9. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell on the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, who you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And as many of you know, Saul changes his name to Paul, and he's known as the Apostle Paul one of the key leaders of the early church. God used him to write most of the old, or much of the Old Testament. Paul wrote Romans and 1 and 2 Corinthians and Galatians and Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians and 1 and 2 Thessalonians and 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus and Philemon. Saul rejected Jesus, partook in the killing of the first Christian martyr, and Jesus returned back to him. It's what God has been doing for thousands of years. We reject, and he just keeps returning. And the reality of the gospel is Jesus just keeps returning to us. When we experience tragedy, and we understandably ask, why, God, why? And let's be honest, when we experience blessing, we rarely ask, why, God, are we being blessed? We quickly question God for our suffering, and we take our redemptive moments for granted. It's understandable. It's a part of our sinful nature. It's a part of our fallen nature. But what is vital to realize is that God always returns, always returns to redeem us. When we experience blessing and take it for granted, God returns to redeem us. When we experience tragedy and get mad at God, God returns to redeem us. As it says in Romans chapter 2, God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. For thousands of years, God has come to redeem humanity. For thousands of years, humanity rejects God and his redemption. And for thousands of years, God returns to redeem us again and again to the point of having his son Jesus die on the cross for our sins and raising him back to life. And when God returns to redeem us from wherever 
we find ourselves in life, rather than take that for granted or blame him for our sorrows, let's open our hearts and receive the blessing he's returned to give us. God's kindness is intended to lead to repentance. Please pray with me. And Lord, for that, we are truly thankful. We are thankful for your kindness, for your goodness. And I would ask that you would open our eyes and soften our hearts so that we may see and experience your goodness as you return to us again and again and again. And it's in the name of our Lord Jesus we pray. Amen. Please stand to receive God's blessing. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.